Welcome to another episode of the Ready, Set, Mindful podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Bishke. If you are someone who is having a challenge navigating through some sort of transition in your athletic journey, in your career, or know someone who is, make sure that you sign up for a Weekend Warrior audit at readysetmindful.com under Weekend Warrior Audit and book a free coaching session that will be aired as a podcast episode. I am excited to have my guest with me. She is a resilience expert, speaker, author, trainer, and coach, Lisa Smith. She's passionate about mental fitness. So that's really what we're going to dive into today. She is a certified positive intelligence, mental fitness coach, master hypnotherapist. She's an EFT practitioner, which stands for emotional freedom technique. So we're going to dive into that a little bit too. She's also big into neuro-linguistic programming. So we're going to talk about what that is today. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. So happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Carrie. I'm really excited to have a further conversation with you today. I know our, our initial conversation was a lot of fun. So looking forward to sharing more with your audience. Yeah. Yeah. I met Lisa. I found her through clubhouse and was looking at her on on her profile. And I was like, Ooh, all of my favorite words in one place, neuro-linguisting program, performance optimization, emotional freedom technique, all the good stuff. So I'm so excited to, to talk about those things with you today. Awesome. Let's get started. So I want our listeners to have a little bit of background as far as how you came to be interested in mental fitness. I'm always curious about how people found this space and what encouraged you to get into mental fitness space. All right. So it's sort of like a a two-ended thing. Uh, So early on in my life in high school, I stumbled upon a book about self-hypnosis and it just felt fascinating to me. So I, I dived into that and experimented just out of curiosity and fun for myself and found a lot of value from it and understanding more about how our brains work and what we're capable of and how we, you know, how we unconsciously form habits and how we can go about changing those habits. If we've established ones, you know, we didn't really intend to. And so that took me on a path of, of learning more about the mind and self-development and, and personal performance, et cetera. And so that's, I've, you know, gone through and, and done that training. And of course, all along the way, understanding about mental fitness and the ability for us to be more aware of our mental uh, health and capacity and utilizing these tools. But in terms of the positive intelligence and mental fitness, that has been more of a recent development about four years ago. I was on a a coach's summit and there was a speaker, his name was Shirzad Shamin. And he was talking about his book, Positive Intelligence and his training and methodology about positive intelligence and and mental fitness. Mm -hmm. And because it was based in neuroscience, well, it's actually four things, neuroscience, positive psychology, performance science and cognitive psychology. I think I got all those right. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, really, really spoke to me. And so I started reading the book, 
getting uh, more acclimated to the work and started actually just using it with my my current clients in, in my hypnotherapy and coaching practice. And, and the majority of them really responded well to it and then started using it a bit for myself. But then the the opportunity to get trained in the work came up in 2020. So I was really excited about that and perceived that. But with the mental fitness, it's really about resilience and optimal performance. So utilizing the techniques within it to help us to become more resilient to life's inevitable setbacks, challenges, failures, disappointments, and conflicts, managing them better and actually utilizing them in a way that they become something that you're grateful for because they help you to learn and to grow. Right. I'm so glad that you brought that up. What mental fitness looks like to you, because there's so much verbiage around mental conditioning, mental performance, mental fitness, I guess, how would you distinguish mental fitness in its own category, standing apart from all the other terminology? Right. So in, in the positive intelligence work, we talk about mental fitness is the ability to respond to life's challenges in a more positive versus negative way, right? In a more helpful versus a, a more sabotaging or detrimental way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of the way to think about it. And learning how to get out of sabotage mode and the ways that are internal saboteur personas kind of are are trying to help us, but end up hindering us instead and move more into what, what we term the sage mind, which is the, the more effective, positive, resourceful mind, right? Sort of like that wise elder self within us. Right. And that's the, the realm of the prefrontal cortex behind the, that area in our brain behind the forehead where reason, logic, problem solving, creativity, outside the box thinking, and the positive emotional states derive from and are activated from versus the primitive brain in the, in the back of our brain near the brainstem where the fight or flight center is. And that tends to activate the, the stress response, the fight or flight response to keep us safe, but it does it in a much more restrictive way and ends up, like I said before, boomeranging back and, and causing us more problems than than good. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I distinguish between the emotional, right. Emotional brain and our rational brain or mm-hmm. brain and our wise brain. Where are these decisions based, based out of which brains activated during this point? Exactly. Yep. yep. <laughs> and so I want to go into the self-sabotage a little bit, because I think so many of us, probably a lot of clients that you work with, a lot of athletes and high performers that I work with too, or get, get so entrenched in their, and their pattern behavior and maybe want to want to shift, but aren't quite sure how to shift out of that self-saboteur state of mind. And so can you talk about that? Like what would be some of the first steps for someone to transition out of that state of self-sabotage? Sure. So what we teach in positive intelligence is really simple, uh, that there's three core muscles that we learn how to build within the positive intelligence work to help us to do that. The first one is being able to be self-aware enough to recognize when you're operating in saboteur mode, 
right? How to identify and stop the hijacking of your saboteurs and move more towards the sage mind and capabilities. So the first thing is, is recognizing building, um, or building the ability to stop the hijacking. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I'll say the second thing is to learn how to engage the sage, right? And how to activate this area of the brain. Engage the sage. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And the bridge between the two that helps you to get from the saboteur mode into the sage mode is the third core muscle that we, we teach people how to build, which is your self-mastery. And to do that, we utilize what we call PQ reps and PQ stands for positivity, a positive intelligence quotient, just like EQ is an emotional intelligence quotient. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the great thing about PQ is it naturally builds 13 of the 16 parameters of emotional intelligence. Awesome. But you only have to remember these three things to do, to be able to build that. So the PQ reps are 10 second mindfulness based exercises that you do in the moment that, um, help you to get into the present and into your body and to signal that you're here now, you're not in the past, you're not in the future. Because mm-hmm. that's usually where, where we're going. We're getting out of the present when we get into that saboteur mode. We're either um, getting re-triggered from things of the past or we're negatively anticipating things in the future. Right. So getting us in the present and signaling our brain and our nervous system that we're safe by focusing on the body and any of the senses. So you can do PQ reps with any of the five senses, but the dominant ones we tend to use are the visual, the auditory, the kinesthetic, which is tactile movement or touch. Mm -hmm. And so that might be for 10 seconds, just become fully aware and focused without any negative thought or distractive thoughts on your breath. Mm -hmm. just noticing all the different nuances and subtleties of your breath for 10 seconds. You could rub your fingers together, um, like your, your forefinger, your thumb, your middle finger, and just with such attention that you could actually feel the ridges of your fingertips Mm because you're becoming so focused on that or focus on something visual, like notice an object uh, near you or far away and just notice the shape, the distance, the colors, any writing, you know, just all the little elements that you can notice of the visual sense of that particular object or feel your, your butt in the seat as you're sitting on the chair, or if you're walking at that time, feel your feet, you know, touching the ground and the movement of your legs and the, and the sensation of your feet and your shoes and hitting the ground, et cetera, just for 10 seconds. And then doing a string of those for as long as you need to recognize that you're getting more into present mode and you're noticing your physiology shifting to more calm state. And then you'll know, okay, I've just entered the sage mind. Right. Yeah. So grounded in mindfulness, really so many that mindfulness exercises that you brought up there and super accessible. I talk a lot about this in my practice that mindfulness and these exercises can be so digestible, you know, 10 seconds is accessible to anyone. And these exercises that you brought up are 
are free. Mm-hmm. They just take a little bit of, of mindful attention. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think examples are so helpful for, for anyone listening, you know, okay, that's the theory behind it, but what does this actually look like? And yes. so I'm really glad that you put some context behind it and what that can actually look like when, when being applied. That's, that's really helpful. Yeah. And one other note I wanted to make uh, Carrie is sometimes, you know, people say, well, I don't, you know, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. Well, the great thing is you can do PQ reps with whatever you're doing in the moment. You don't have to set aside time for that, right? right? So if you're in a meeting and you're starting to feel yourself getting saboteur mode, getting negatively triggered, just, you know, if you're sitting, just pull your attention to your butt in the seat. If you happen to be the one talking, so you can't necessarily just kind of sit there and do PQ reps with your fingers or feeling about on the seat because you're talking, notice the tone of your voice. Mm. Um, Notice the sensation of your lips moving. Uh, Visual, you know, notice the, like pick somebody in the room that you're looking at and just notice their face or notice some of the features of their face account without any judgment or, or, you know, negative thoughts, but just noticing. Right. So you can still keep speaking, but you'll find yourself getting into that more present mindfulness state. If you can incorporate and just focus on some tactile sensation or the sound of your voice or some, you know, visual aspect of somebody that you're, you're talking to. So you can do it while you're driving, you can do it while you're showering, you can do it while you're on the phone talking with someone, you can do it while you're eating, while you're exercising, Yeah. right? And it's, so they're meant to be used in the moment, incorporated with whatever you're doing so that there's no barriers to being able to utilize them. Right. Yeah. That's even more accessible in the moment. And that's where the cool stuff happens. That's where your emotional mm-hmm. um, state shifts and where that happens. It's not after the fact you can, you can shift something too, but, but then the situation has already happened and it's done with, and then there's maybe some, the guilt and the shame spiral of having that situation have happened. So, (laughs) okay. We all know where, where that goes. And so in the moment, that's the opportunity to practice it. So something Mm -hmm. as accessible as 10 seconds, you know, I, I, I love that. So cool. And you brought up mindfulness and I always love to, to dig into, what my guests mindfulness routines look like, because we're practitioners who are, you know, supposed, supposedly walking the walk. What does that look like for you? Right. Well, it's, uh, so prior to the positive intelligence work that I was doing hypnosis. So I would make recordings for myself. That's just the easier way to do it. Uh, versus trying to give myself, you know, think about what to think about in the, the moment. Right. Uh, So listening to those audios or doing just some meditation, uh, walking, like being in nature, uh, something that I've always done. And it always brings me into the present moment and that sense of mindfulness. Um, But since the PQ work, it's I've been utilizing those methods and tools on a daily basis. So one of the things I love about the PQ work, even though I know how to do these, these PQ reps and things on my own, I, there's an app that when people go through the six week training program, they actually get an app on their phone, they can download and they have access to it for, for a full year. And it gives you coach challenges throughout the day. It gives you a focus of the day and then three times throughout the day, it, it like gives you little prompts of 
ways that you can remember to use that focus of the day with whatever's happening in your day. So I utilize that app throughout the day, first listening in the morning to what the focus of the day is like for today, it was managing your mood and recognizing if you have a default mood that you tend to go into and that might not be as, as helpful. Uh, and then uh, kind of being mindful of that through the day and then using the app three times a day, we'll come up with a new coach challenge. It's like two to three minutes that you listen to with Sherzad, you know, giving you an exercise to do to bring that focus of the day into that moment. And so I use that app throughout the day and, and not a hundred percent. It's not like sometimes I'm too, you know, much more busy and I skip one of the three challenges of the day. But and then at the end of the day, there's a little opportunity to do a journal entry, which is that reflection process is also really, really important. That's also an element of mindfulness. And you probably, probably teach about that as well, right? So stop and reflect back and recognize what went well, what didn't go well. How can you take that information and move it forward to help you to continue to grow and progress in your goals and your mental fitness? So it's taking that reflection time. What did I learn today from going through these practices? Where did I have challenges, uh, et cetera? So, yeah. so that's mostly what I use now to help me to stay mindful throughout the day. Oh, very cool. I think it's just so important for practitioners to walk the walk and to use the tools that we're encouraging our, mm-hmm. our clients to use. And that helps us in our relatability to them and to some of the challenges that they're encountering too, because we've been there. Right. So right. that's the, the cool part of it. I've done those. It's not like I'm sitting mm-hmm. here, you know, telling you to do something I've never done before. I'm like, let's see if it works. Like hands up. Right. Or that like, I, Hey, I've got it all figured out and I never get hijacked by my Sabbath oh, tours. Right. I'm like a master. No. Right. That's, that's just baloney. Yeah. Right? We jump off our pedestals. Like we're right there yes. with them doing some of these tools and incorporating mm-hmm. them. So cool. I'm so yeah. glad that I learned what your routine looks like. That's interesting. And so I, one of the reasons I reached out to you initially, was like, Ooh, neuro-linguistic programming. I think that sounds so fascinating mm-hmm. and EFT. We want, I want to dive into both of those things, but we'll start with neuro-linguistic programming, what it is, how it works and you know, who, who it's best for. Okay. So I'll start off with that last question. Who's it best for? Yeah. It's great for anybody. Awesome. (laughs) So anybody can use it and you can use it for, for such a wide variety of things, you know, changing your default mode habits of thinking or, or acting, helping you to to tap more into your full potential, uh, gaining, you know, greater confidence, et cetera. But NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, stands for basically the language of the mind. So neuro is the mind and linguistics is language. So what the originators of NLP, um, uh, Grinder and Bandler, discovered is that there are certain patterns that the brain utilizes to to create our thinking processes and our, you know, and again, our defaults. And when we understand how the brain works and what these patterns are like and how to change the patterns, then we start to learn how to take more control over that. Instead of being into default, we start to be able to, you know, shift things that, that aren't working for us. and shift them into a way, both in the moment, helping you to do that shift, but also over time, changing the default. So your new default starts to become more of the beneficial default Mm. instead of the default that you're finding isn't creating benefit for you. 
or at least long-term term or greater benefit because everything that we do has benefit for us. Otherwise we wouldn't do it. Right. Even though it, it might be like negative or detrimental, it's still serving a purpose in some way. There's still something that we're getting from the way that we're doing it. Mm. Um, but it usually is what I call a win-lose. And what we're trying to create is win-win. So it creates the temporary win, but also the long-term win. Mm, okay. All right. So that was what NLP is. Maybe if we can give an example of how you would apply it to a common issue that you see with clients coming to you, what would be an example of how you would apply NLP to a specific pattern that you were trying to change? Yeah. So um, the thing to remember about NLP, it's working with the patterns of the brain Mm -hmm. and There are certain ways that the brain codes, processes, stores, and responds to information. Mm -hmm. And one of the principles of of NLP is that we tend to remember more of or get more emotionally invested or triggered by things that we're storing in our brain that are in color, that are like movies, they're moving, Mm -hmm. they're more, we're in it when we're recalling it, we're recalling it more as if we're in the experience, seeing it through our eyes, hearing it with our ears and our thoughts, feeling, sensing it with our body versus being an observer, watching, like watching a movie versus being in the movie. When there's sound or when the sound is loud versus soft. So I give this analogy. If you're watching this scary movie and you're watching it in a movie theater, where it's dark, there's this huge screen, it's close to you, there's a lot of movement going on, there's sound associated that's designed to elicit the emotions of fear or trepidation, anticipation, etc. And you've got even this, the surround sound, which creates some vibration, right? So you've got sort of that vibration and that movement going. And so if you're watching that movie, you're generally going to be triggered by those things, mm-hmm. those different elements and respond in the way that the you know, movie director and producer are trying to help you, you know, make you respond feeling scared. Sure. Um, if you're watching that same exact movie, but you're watching it in a brightly lit room and a small TV way across the other side of the room, it's in black and white versus color yeah, that's bad reception. So it's a little bit fuzzy. The, the picture isn't very clear. The sound is down low or the sound isn't congruent. Like you got circus music playing instead, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So with all these elements change, you're observing it, you're far away. It's black and white, it's fuzzy versus clear. The sound is down low. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a very different experience sure. in watching that movie than when you were in that movie theater experience. And so one of the things I do with my clients, like, especially with weight loss clients is if they've got problem foods, like foods that they, they feel very compelled and drawn to, then we utilize this technique to help them to, to, to in their minds. And and usually when I'm doing the NLP, I'm incorporated in with the hypnotic state. Mm -hmm. So I combine the, the NLP techniques in with the hypnotic state because you're getting it even deeper into the into the subconscious that way. 
Okay. So I have them imagine the food, the problem food, and then imagine in front of them and, you know, have it move further away from them and get smaller and then take all the color out of it. Imagine they're seeing that food in black and white or gray and that it's shrinking down and, you know, there, there's like, if there's any smells associated with it, that we, we incorporate a different smell. So we can either shift some of those modalities of the physical aspects of it mm. to make it smaller and, and less Appealing. attractive. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and just do that over and over again. So that what happens in the brain, the next time it sees that food, it's actually going to start to recall the new pattern, the new structure, the new aspects, right. And see it differently. Right. Okay. So you're reconditioning new neural pathways, kind of desensitizing exactly. to the original experience. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's, okay. you know, when you see that food, you've trained your brain to initiate the signal from a, from trigger response, a trigger response, sorry, trigger A to response B. And there's actually a neural pathway that you've trained your brain to cause that synaptic response to go down, to get to, you know, the end B and the response. So what we're doing through this process and EFT does a lot of this as well, is it helps to change that signal and that pathway and bring you down a different pathway. And then if you're not going down the same old pathway over and over again, you're starting to go down a new pathway. You're building that new pathway and the old pathway is because it's not getting fed anymore. It starts to break apart and die off. Right. So we've established a new one. We've broken the old one so that the, the, every time you see that food, it starts to go and recall it differently. And then we do the opposite for the foods that we want the person to be more attracted to. We have them think about that food and make it bigger, bring it closer to them to make it really colorful and really clear to add some sounds in that would be relevant to feeling good, you know, eating that food, et cetera. And so we're building those new neural pathways that are attracted to those foods that are going to be more helpful for them. And clients say it all the time. It's like, I just go down the, the chip aisle and, you know, I just like, they're not appealing to me anymore. And when I go through the produce section, it's like, everything's jumping out at me and it looks so good and so enticing. And then their taste buds actually change too. They're like, Oh, I was drinking that soda and it just tasted too sweet. Or it it just like tasted flat to me. It didn't have that same taste and appeal anymore. So that's when we know the brain has been recoded. Right. And what is the process for uh, the time frame for someone who's coming to you, maybe for weight loss or to get some new neural pathways conditioned for particular pattern changes? What's the time frame? Would well, it really that? varies based on the person, based on how entrenched the habits and conditionings are, et cetera. Sometimes when I'm like working with a client, we do one session on a particular thing that we're trying to work on, like changing food preferences and they'll notice, you know, the next day or within a week, especially if they're continuing to do the process, listen to the hypnosis audio that I made for them, where they're going through that process over and over to retrain the brain. Then it's usually, you know, within a week, they're noticing a shift. Some things can be a little bit deeper, a little bit more involved and take a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of me working with people that will vary, like sometimes I'll just do, you know, a minimum of, of three sessions with somebody for something like a habit 
that like quitting smoking or changing their food preferences. I've had people come to me, not for weight loss, but changing their food preferences. Like they don't like vegetables at all. And they want to be able to eat vegetables because they know that, you know, they're better for them. They'll be healthier or, or a certain food that they're having a problem with. And then we just do a few sessions and then they're, they're like, Oh, wow. It's, you know, it's in place. It's like, I'm, I'm enjoying green beans. I don't want to throw up anymore when I smell a green bean or, yeah. or taste it. And the, like the chocolate or the wine or whatever it is, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, I could have it here and there, but yeah. It, it like I never go no longer go overboard and not not thinking about it and having it every day. Right. It's so fascinating. It reminds me a lot of EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, uh-huh. which EMDR and EFT are really closely aligned. They're cousins, right? And so I'm all about working with the subconscious. So much of the time we make these decisions and we're on, you know, we're on autopilot for so much of our behavior. And it's, it's not even driven by our conscious. It's these subconscious responses that we're having to things that happened in our past. And we're, we're not sure why or where they're coming from. So that's a lot of the clients that, that I see, they're like, I don't know why I keep having this response. I feel attacked when someone says something to me and I, I don't know where it's coming from. And I'm like, okay, that signals to me that there's something there. Whenever your response to something that shouldn't be as big as it is that you make it big. Then I'm like, Oh, there's something to dig into a little bit there. So I love using EMDR and EFT. And I, I would love to talk a little bit about EFT emotional freedom technique. And can you just describe that a little bit for, for people that don't know and describe the, the neuroscience behind what's happening during a tapping session? Sure. So there's, there's still a lot that we don't know and understand about it uh, because it can have some phenomena that, that we're like, why, why is that happening? Like um, what they call borrowing benefits, but I call sharing benefits because borrowing means you have to give it back. Yeah. But um, what we do know is that when we, the, the main part of the, the EFT is also referred to as tapping is where we're tapping, we're stimulating these trigger points on the body that are associated with the with the um, acupuncture system of, you know, Eastern acupuncture and and philosophy and religion. So these points have a different electrical frequency to them. And when we have some kind of stress or shock trauma, it could be, you know, even small physical or emotional, sometimes our energy gets blocked. And so the flow of energy through our brain, through our body, our nervous system, et cetera, through our cells gets either blocked or disrupted in some way. And sometimes it's flowing in the the wrong direction. And what we found is that through stimulating these points, through tapping, rubbing, applying a pulsing pressure or an acupuncture sticking a needle in the point, it helps to free up the energy that might've gotten blocked in that area and make sure that it's flowing effectively and in the right direction. And so the interesting thing is that this was once just kind of theory, Mm. 
But now through modern instrumentation, we can actually see through like functional MRIs, we can see which areas of the brain are getting activated and lit up when we're stimulating these particular points. And also we can see what's happening within the organs. We can see um, how the different chemicals are being released or stopped being released and how the, the blood, what's in the blood changes and the immune response. So we can actually measure these things and that there's a different electrical frequency around these particular trigger points when we use um, the uh, meter that's able to detect the electrical frequency. So when we put it near one of these points, the electrical frequency increases. When we move it away, it decreases. So through stimulating these points, we can release the blocks, we can make sure that the energy starts to flow effectively. And we're actually changing which areas of the brain and the nervous system and the immune system and other things are being activated. But I'll I'll just for right now, I'll just focus on the brain and the nervous system. So we help to stop the activation from in the hindbrain of the fight or flight mechanism in that amygdala. And we can see through stimulating these points that the prefrontal cortex starts to get activated again. Because when we're in fight or flight mode, this reasoning area of the brain shuts down because we're, we're, you know, instinctively signaling it's time to just fight or run away from the, the enemy. There's actually four Fs, fight, flight, freeze, or faint. But more typically, it's the the fight or flight. And so we can stop that activation from the primitive brain and we can start to activate the prefrontal cortex. And we see that happening in the brain when we're stimulating these points. Those areas of the brain that are lit up versus dim start to change. And, And then because emotions are chemical reactions, the negative emotions that are released from the amygdala, the, the cortisol and the adrenaline stop getting produced and the emotions that lead to, or the chemicals that lead to positive emotions, such as serotonin and dopamine and endorphins get released here from that prefrontal cortex area. And so we're actually shifting our emotional state through shifting the chemical responses and we're moving from fight or flight, fear and protection and conditioned response mode. And we're starting to move into the prefrontal cortex capabilities of creativity, logic, reason, problem solving and the positive emotional state. So it can happen very quickly within, you know, sometimes just a few seconds, couple of minutes. And we can notice our nervous system calming down, our heart calming down. We can notice tension releasing. And again, we move out of the past, we move out of the, pre- of the future, and we start to feel ourselves in the present moment and feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved hearing you explain that because I think it's, it's so important for people to know the, the neuroscience behind it and how helpful it can be and what's going on behind the scenes, because there's so many things that we aren't able to see. I think when we talk about energy, you know, sometimes that's construed as like woo woo, but it's, it's a real thing, right. And electromagnetic frequencies, and those are also real things. There's a lot of things that are behind the scenes and at play that definitely impact our thoughts, behavior, and our emotions. And so it's important to have a little bit of context to understand how a tool like this can really serve you and can really work. 
And so right. I would love to have you walk through what an EFT session, maybe not the full session, but what that would look like if I came to you with, you know, I said, I've just been having so much anxiety lately and I'm feeling it in my chest and I feel out of control and like, I just can't, I just can't do anything right. And I have some sadness and fear around that. And it's, it's in my chest. What would, what would you do with that? What would that kind of look like? Yeah. That's yeah. So that's a great example. I work a lot with people with anxiety. So the first thing we do with EFT is we try to quantify the, the feeling and there's two ways that we can do that. One is through giving it an intensity level of zero to 10, 10 being very, very extreme, zero being not there at all. So we say, you know, what is the feeling? Well, it's, you know, first, how could you label the feeling? So it might be like anxiety. And what intensity are you feeling it right now? If you could identify that that feeling and that intensity zero, zero to 10, what number would you give it? And it's usually above a five at that point. So, you know, it might be a 10, might be an eight. Sometimes clients go, it's a 12. Yeah. <laughs> Off the charts. Yeah. Right. So we start there. What's the intensity level? And then we go through a few, you know, we go through a round and we check back in on that intensity level, how it feels now, zero to 10. Usually we'll notice the number go down. The other way we can quantify it is how are you feeling it physiologically, right? How is it showing up in your body? Because emotions usually also are showing up in our body. So you might feel it as this heaviness in the chest, like where in the chest, how heavy does it feel? Uh, like how big is that area of heaviness? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is there any other sensation with that that you can notice? Right. And then after the round of tapping, in addition to the zero to 10 intensity scale, notice, you know, go back to your body and notice, is there any shifts there? Is there any lightening, lessening, shrinking of that sensation, sometimes even a release? And so that's another way to, <clears throat> to sort of measure it. Right. Uh, so what are you feeling? Try to label it, you know, clearly. And then to what intensity are you feeling at zero to 10 and or where, how are you feeling it in your body? And then you start through the process. And the, one of the first ways I teach my clients to do the tapping, because the, the basic original technique incorporates wording, but I teach them a way where they don't have to do the wording at first, just to get used to the tapping process and the points. And sometimes you're so hijacked by your saboteurs or your amygdala that you can't even like kind of put the words together. And that's what I call the breathe and tap. So we would just start here, okay, tapping on the side of the hand, what we call the karate chop point, mm-hmm. and taking a deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. And the reason why, and you do that two to three times. Mm-hmm. And so as you continue that, Carrie, uh, why I say in through the nose and out through the mouth is because that signals the brain and the nervous system that we are not fighting or running, that we're safe because we're fighting or running, we're mouth breathers, yeah. we're breathing in through the mouth and out through the mouth. We get the deepest breath that way. Mm-hmm. When we're breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth, then we know we can't be running or you know highly active. Mm-hmm. So that must mean we're okay, we're safe. Mm-hmm. So after you do two to three deep breaths at the karate chop point, then you go to the top of the head. It's the next point. 
Some practitioners start at the eyebrow point, but that's the second point that I go to after crowded top. Mm-hmm. So two to three deep head. breaths in and out as you tap the top of your head right in the center. And then you go to the eyebrow point. Now, uh, there's some points that are on the right side of your body. Some points are on the left side and some that are in the center. So I like to do dual tapping. So any place where I have a right and left side, I tap them both at the same time, but some people might just stay on one side of their body. Mm-hmm. So the, the, if for anybody's listening to this and not watching it, the, it's between the bridge of the nose and the beginning of your eyebrow. Mm-hmm. That's where that eyebrow point is also referred to as inside of the eye. And then the second point or the, the other point on the face outside of the, the corners of your eye, uh, like in your temple and two to three deep breaths in and out there. And then you would go under your eye where you're hitting just at the edge of your eye socket. Okay, two to three deep breaths there. And then you got under the nose, which is a central point. And then the next point is under the lip in that little divot below the lip above the chin. It's also referred to as chin point, but it's not on the chin, Mm -hmm. just below the lip two to three deep breaths in and out there. And then you would go to the collarbone point, which is if you're sliding your fingers on both sides down your collarbone towards the hollow of your neck, right before you get to the hollow of your neck, you should feel um, a bone on either side protruding a little bit. And you go just below that bone until you feel sort of like a groove. Mm -hmm. And then that's your collarbone point. And you do tap there two to three deep breaths. Or again, you can rub in that area instead of tapping, but generally people are tapping. And then under the arms, now that's about four inches below your armpit. For women, it's right where your bra strap is. But if you look on a diagram that that we give people, it's a little bit just below the nipple point. So about four inches below the armpit on the sides of the body, you've got a right side and left side. So if you're doing the bilateral tapping, you do either the hug or the monkey. Mm-hmm. So the hug is harder for larger chested people. You would cross your arms over like you're giving yourself a hug and use your, your fingers um, to tap either side. If you're doing the monkey, it's like, you know, like monkey where you got your hands up under the armpits, but down at your sides and kind of rubbing maybe with the backs of your fingers or tapping with your fingertips. And then we go to the wrists, right where the wrists bend forward. And if you're doing bilateral tapping, you tap the wrists together and two to three deep breaths in and out there. And then I like to end back up at the top of the head again for a full circle. Mm -hmm. So tapping up at the top of the head, two to three deep breaths in and out there. And that's one full round and then you would stop. Mm -hmm. And that's when you would then tune into the feeling again. zero to 10. How intense does it feel now? You should notice it's gone down a point or two points. Sometimes it goes down several and then notice that the physiology is that shifted, changed, you know, in any way, sometimes it will move, right? Right. So it's moved. So any of those signs, lightening, lessening, moving, you know, shifting in some way is a sign that you're releasing that, that energy is moving, right? So emotions are energy in motion or energy that's blocked. And so we want to notice that there's some motion of, of that energy. It's shifting in some way. So that tells you that the EFT is doing its work. Right. Right. And if you're still above a five with the reading, then you just do another round. I always tell people expect to do at least three rounds. Don't quit too early. Sometimes people quit early. 
Right. Sometimes the first few rounds, you're not noticing any difference. Keep with it. Sometimes your brain, your nervous system are really locked in and it just takes some patience and some continuity to help to break that up and and notice some shift. For sure. Yeah. I think with, with a tool like EFT and EMDR, especially there's so much resistance. So you're looking a little goofy, you know, (laughs) non-judgmental zone, but there is some resistance sometimes to like, what am I doing? Is this going to work? Yeah, this is a weird thing, which is why, you know, it's important to explain the science behind it. And there's a way that, that I teach people how to do it more discreetly. So if other people are around, which is using the the finger points, right? You do very discreetly, or if even if people, will see you sort of tapping or playing with or rubbing your fingers. It's very common to see people doing that sort of a nervous thing. And so, you know, it won't look so out of place as like doing this tapping on the upper area. I I learned that too, because I do work with so many college athletes and they have test anxiety, social anxiety. And so there are these, this discreet tapping. So it just looks like they're Mm -hmm. doing something else. So those are even more accessible to you when you can kind of, you know, do them subtly. And so with, with EFT and NLP, what, what clients are you seeing and how are you deciding which tools that would work, you know, best Mm -hmm. for, for the challenges that you're seeing and and those client goals? Yeah. So like you said, the weight loss, changing eating habits, lifestyle habits, um, smoking, for example, I do see people for alcohol. I do have some restrictions around that and who I take on with that. And then I have worked with some athletes. That's not my, my specialty, but I have worked with athletes a lot with anxiety, stress or anxiety, uh, general anxiety or situational anxiety, fears and phobias, yeah, that kind of thing, self-esteem and self-confidence. And then for most people, I am utilizing both and recommending both the hypnosis and the EFT. Some people aren't great candidates for hypnosis, but you know, we can still utilize it a little bit, but I'll be more dependent on some of the other tools. And then some people I'll recommend that they go through that positive intelligence program. Mm -hmm. For example, if they're working on self-esteem, self-confidence sales, anger issues, those kinds of of things, generally they're going to be better off with going through that program and learning some of those, that foundation. And then I'll incorporate the other tools, you know, in addition to that, but yeah, so it will vary. And that's why I have free consultations with people so that I can determine a, if I feel like they're a good candidate for using these tools and working with me in the way that I work and b which of these tools that I might recommend to use with them and which programs to recommend for them. Cause there's a lot of different ways. And like I said, sometimes I just do like some mental mastery, three sessions with somebody to help them with a particular behavior, like a fear phobia, that kind of thing. And then other people I'll work with for um, like three months to six months, yeah. depending on, on what their issues, needs, or goals are. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's good to have so many of these cool tools in your, in your mm-hmm. tool belt so that, you know, the people that are seeking you out are open mm-hmm. to those different modalities. So that's always good because that openness and that trust in the, the relationship with your practitioner is the most important, right? Absolutely. So, right. Good. And so kind of on closing, I, I always like to ask a question. What is the best advice that you've ever received, whether personal mm. or career advice or general? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that. I would say not necessarily the advice, but 
sort of a, an awareness or a perspective. And I've heard it in different forms throughout my life and, and my, my career in this work. So Napoleon Hill, the, I guess the first one that I heard it from, Mm. And we teach this in the, the positive intelligence work. We call it the sage perspective that every challenge, setback, disappointment, conflict, you know, every negative has, has some a gift or opportunity within it, right? Napoleon Hill said every adversity, every failure, every setback holds the seed of an equal or greater equivalent benefit. And in the positive intelligence work, it's, you know, every, every one of those things is a gift or opportunity. And then we talk about the, the, like the three different kinds of gifts that you can get from these things, but that's, that's really it, right? Not things, not I'm a victim and life is happening to me, but life is happening for me. Instead of asking, why is this happening to me? Ask, why is this happening for me? What value can I get from this experience? How can I grow? Uh, How can I learn? How can this shift me in a better direction or just anticipate? that somewhere down the road, even if I can't see it immediately, somewhere down the road, there's going to be a domino effect. The, the, the dots are going to connect and I'm going to be seeing how this experience actually benefited me um, and possibly even benefited others because it took me in a direction of helping people go through the same kind of situation as, as I, you know, as I learned to go through it. Right. So, yeah. So that's, I think the best thing is recognize you're not a victim. Life is not happening to you. Uh, It's for you and everything holds a gift or opportunity. If you can shift the perspective from the victim to the sage and look at it that way, then you'll find that, that, you know, everything in life is, is perfect and uh, can be of value to us. Yeah, that's so cool. Being proactive rather than reactive. And it's okay to have that knee-jerk emotional reaction sometime. Like Yeah, we're gonna have our, that. It's a we're human. Our, yeah, exactly. But not like staying how, stuck there. How quickly can you yeah, how quickly? That? And that's the, the positive intelligence work is the the speed and ease at which you bounce back, you rebound from those challenges and those setbacks that kind of drag you down a little bit and teaching people how to do that faster and easier and not have their hand on the hot stove for too long and burn themselves instead of just having a little bit of a warning to move away from the burner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's such a good example. We'll end on that one. Thank you so much, Lisa, for, for being on the podcast and sharing so many golden nuggets with us. And if people are interested in learning more about you, where can they, where can they find you? Right. So I've got actually two websites and one will bring them to the other, but if people are interested in learning more about the hypnosis and the EFT, they can go to my hypnocoachlisa.com website. H-Y-P-N-O-C-O-A-C-H-L-I-S-A.com. And there's actually a a free download on that for a hypnotic conditioning process they can download and listen to. And then my main website uh, that explores all these other kinds of things is the mindtrainingcenter.com. Okay, very cool. Yeah, lots of different, lots of different tools that Lisa has in her tool belt. So if anyone interested in learning a little bit more and checking out Lisa, make sure to go to her website. Great. Thanks. I've had so so much much fun today, Carrie. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lisa. Okay. We will go ahead and maybe schedule another podcast to talk, to talk more, but thank you so much for, for being on here.
Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Ready, Set, Mindful podcast. Make sure to join us next week as we have another episode for you. If you haven't checked out readysetmindful.com, make sure to check out our free mental toolkit to optimize your performance. And if you're not following us on social, we're on Facebook and Instagram at Ready, Set, Mindful. Make sure to leave us a review if you liked what you heard. Always look forward to seeing what your guys' thoughts are. We will catch you on the next episode.